Ed had just gotten back from town after taking a trip there with his two little kids. Got out of his pickup, lay down on the front lawn, and died. We know not the day, nor the hour. Eric was taking his motorcycle out for a spin. Went around a curve, and there was a pickup in the wrong lane. We know not the day, nor the hour. Joseph had just come back from the funeral where he buried his father-in-law, sat down, had a massive stroke. We know not the day nor the hour. Kirk was sitting at the kitchen table. His brother was showing him how to operate the safety on the 22 when it went off. He lived long enough to know he was going to die. We know not the day nor the hour. Nelson died in the arms of a woman, not his wife. We know not the day nor the hour. Elizabeth was enjoying a pleasant meal with friends when she choked to death on a small piece of meat. We know not the day nor the hour. Nicholas was running to catch a ball. At the same time, a teenager was speeding through the neighborhood. He was seven. We know not the day nor the hour. Zach was enjoying himself diving, and he struck his head. We know not the day nor the hour. Jerry was enjoying his dream hunt in Montana. He was sweating, he was out of shape, hunting hard. Temperature dropped, he got hypothermia and died. We know not the day nor the hour. No one gets out alive. No one. St. Alphonsus says, the sense of death has been written against all men. You are a man. You must die. St. Cyprian says, we are born with the noose around our neck. Every step we take brings us near to death. St. Augustine says, God has not promised tomorrow. Perhaps he will give it to you. And perhaps he will not. St. Alphonsus asks, what would you say if you saw a condemned man walking to the gallows, joking, laughing, looking around in every direction, thinking of nothing but joking, partying, and amusements? What would you think of that condemned man? And aren't you on your way to death? What are you thinking about? We know not the day, nor the hour. Death is certain. Christians know this truth. They believe and even see this truth every day. How then can they live so forgetful of death 
as if they will never have to die. If after this life there were no hell or a heaven, could they think of it less than they do at present? St. Gregory the Great says, God conceals the hour of death from us for our own good, so that we will live in a manner so as to always be prepared to die. When the devil tempts you, saying, tomorrow you can go to confession, you need to answer, how do I know that I will have a tomorrow? If at this moment that I sin against God and God requires of me my life, what will become of me then? What will become of me for all eternity? St. Augustine says it is a just punishment that the sinner who was unwilling to convert when he had the opportunity to do so and could save his soul will not be able to when he is willing. St. John of the Cross, that great saint, doctor of the church, when he was told that he was dying, said, oh, that I only had more time to prepare for death. St. Teresa Avila says, remember, O sinners, that the Lord who will one day be your judge, is now calling you to return to him. St. Dennis the Areopagite says, God follows sinners like a despised lover, begging them to not destroy their souls. St. John Chrysostom says, Christ himself begs you, but what does he beg you to do? To be reconciled to God. For it is not God that acts like an enemy, but rather you with your sin. St. Augustine says that God, if he were not God, would be unjust on account of the incredible mercy and patience that he exercises towards sinners who are abusing him. St. Alphonsus says, Oh, how great is the mercy of God in waiting for our repentance. My brother, when you offended God, he could have struck you dead. But he waited for you, and instead of chastising you, he's poured down favors upon you. He's preserved your life and provided for you. He pretended to not see your sins in order that you might repent. We need to realize that although God waits for the conversion of sinners and bears with their sins, he does not wait and bear forever. According to the fathers and doctors of the church, St. Basil, St. Jerome, St. Ambrose, St. Cyril of Alexandria, St. John Chrysostom, St. Augustine, and St. Alphonsus 
commenting on the authentic meaning of the scriptural passage, Wisdom 1121, Thou hast ordered all things in measure and in number and in weight. These saints teach that just as God has fixed for each man the number of his days, the number of his, the amount of health, and the talents he will give to him, so also God has determined the number of sins that he will pardon that man. And when this number is completed, he will pardon that man no more. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. God waits until the measure of iniquities is filled up. And then he chastises the sinner. St. Alphonsus asks, Who can discover the number of sins which God will pardon each individual? We should tremble. My brother, it may be that God will pardon you no more after the first criminal pleasure in which you indulge, after the first evil thought to which you consent, or after the first mortal sin that you commit. For it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. St. Gregory the Great relates that a child, having reached the age of reason for uttering a blasphemy, was condemned to hell for all eternity. And he deserves it. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The Blessed Virgin revealed to the servant of God, Benedict of Florence, that a girl of 12 years old was damned after her first mortal sin. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of living God. St. Gregory the Great says that God punishes with the greatest rigor those whom he waits for with the greatest patience. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It's the common teaching of the theologians that our particular judgment takes place at the very moment of death, as soon as the soul separates from the body, and at the very spot of death, the soul must appear before the judgment seat of our Lord Jesus Christ. There will be two books read from, the gospel and the conscience of the sinner. In the gospel we read, what the sinner should have done. But from his conscience will be read what the sinner has done. The accusers will then step forward. First, the devil. St. Augustine says that the devil will charge us before our face with what we have done. He will state the day and the hour in which we have sinned. Next, our guardian angel comes forward. Origen says, our angel will say, I have labored for so many years for the salvation of that man, but he has despised my warnings. 
then his conscience will accuse him. St. Bernard says the very sins on his conscience will cry out saying, You made us. We are your works. And we will not abandon you. Now God will place before the sinner all the good examples. The examples of the saints, all the lights, graces and helps, and inspirations that were given to him throughout his life. And the sinner will have to render an account of all the time given him and every idle word, every evil word, evil thought, and evil deed. At the particular judgment, there are no lawyers. There is no defense. There are no excuses. God knows everything. There is no appeal. On this judgment hangs eternity. This judgment is perfectly just. There is no mercy. The time for mercy ended at death. No mercy, no excuses, no appeal, no escape. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The time for mercy is now. Stop sinning. Repent. Go to confession. For ye know not the day nor the hour. And it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God.